Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Alice. And I'm Anne. Lexi's out this week. Send her well wishes. She's very, very busy. She's doing fun things. Yeah. Little Miss football fan and planning a wedding said she needed a (laughs) mental health break. And so we called an audible on this Super Bowl Sunday. We're bringing two of our favorite people off the bench to come and help us push past the defense. We are joined by Brad and Lisa Golkson of Comic Book Couples Counseling. Oh my God, are we on a bench because we're at a picnic? Yes, 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 it's a a classic picnic. Can I pick a Nick basket? I know everything from camping. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was trying to make some sports joke, but I don't know enough about sports to make a joke. So it's okay. I came in with some unsafe jokes. I, I know this is a sacred space. We only talk about comics. I came here with that bully rhetoric. I'm really sorry, everyone. Everyone's got choppers behind their eyes right now, thinking about the sixth grade. Memorizing Y'all were like, stats. hey, can we record on Sunday? And then you're like, uh, well, Sunday Super Bowl. And we're like, oh, is it? Well, that's the only day we could record. So <laughs> how much do you love the human target? <laughs> a lot. A lot. So it's so good. I'm so excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So if you, dear listener, are not familiar by looking at the title, we are covering today The Human Target by Tom King, Greg Smallwood, and Clayton Coles. This 12-issue miniseries came out from DC Black Label last year, maybe two years ago now, and it is one of our favorites. Very quickly, before we get into any uh, first thoughts, this 12-issue miniseries follows Christopher Chance as he investigates who murdered him. As the human target, his job is to take the fall for anyone that thinks they're going to die soon. He does this for Lex Luthor and then finds out he has been poisoned by none other than the Justice League International. So with the help of the superheroine Ice, he investigates the Justice League International trying to find who poisoned him. He falls in love along the way. And was it ever really about the mystery in the first place? We'll find out on today's episode. I need to know, Brad and Lisa, what your first impressions of the human target were. I mean, first impressions are even before you read the comic, you saw the ads for it and you saw Smallwood's art. And you're like, well, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Uh, Can't wait. I had watched the Human Target television show. We both did. We both. No, I'd never seen it. I had watched the Human Target television show, but that was my only interaction with Christopher Chance before reading this issue. And then you read that first issue And, you know, you're just like a few panels in, you get the premise and you're like, well, this is great. I can't wait for the ride. And I loved it all the way through. It has such tremendous style. It's talking about mortality, which I'm never tired of. I love talking about mortality (laughs) and what makes life actually worth living. And I just really love this book. He's like, this is a kissing comic about death. Holy exactly. Cow. Those are like my two favorite things. Yeah. I mean, it's a super hot book and it's a perfect uh, superhero spin on the noir. Uh, and, you know, you know, a golf clap all around to everybody involved on this project. That's a sports reference. Golf clap. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to golf it. clap my we way to it. the Super Bowl. <laughs> Technically for Brad, it was a men at work reference. Oh, okay. Uh, for oh, okay. all you Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez fans out there. <laughs> that's when I learned what a golf clap was. Outstanding. Outstanding. And 
What were your first impressions of the human target? <laughs> okay, so um, I need to I need to preference my first thoughts of where I was at the time. Oh no! Um, <laughs> uh oh! Human target happened for me at the. It was it was a combination of a lot of factors. I was looking for a very specific thing in comics at that moment, and DC, my my beloved home sweet home where I I always go to feel comfy in the time when I needed to feel comfy the most was refusing to give that to me. And I'm like, I just want, I want my leading ladies to be doing cool shit. I want more Supergirl women of tomorrows. I need more of that. And the human target came. I'm like, hell yeah. Let's Justice League International, Fire and Ice are going to be in this. I love them. They're so cool. And then I got, I got this and I was reading through it. I'm like, this isn't what I wanted. And I, I, my first impressions of the human target, just because it wasn't like specifically what I wanted at the time, I kind of like, I crossed my arms. I did the grumpy, like, it's fine, I guess. Cause I'm reading, I, I'm reading it. And I can't deny that it's a good book. Cause I'm like, I love the art. The art's wonderful. The writing's great. I always like Tom King's work. So it's like everything that I want, it's just not what I wanted at that moment. So I'm sitting there being very grumbly and grumpy about it. And Dallas is like, don't you love this book? I'm like, it's, it's okay. I guess it's fine. It's a fine book and I never finished it when it was coming out. Like I read through most of it and I got to issue like 10 and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come back to this later. Cause I could recognize like in that moment, it was like, I will, I will come back. I will come back and I will check this out later when I can approach it from an aspect where I'm not reading it from like this. Cause the, the way you approach a story will affect how the story feels for you. And I'm like, I know that I'm going to be able to appreciate the story later. There's so many stories like that where I'm like, I will come back to this when I feel like I'm ready for it came back to it now and um my impression this time around is so much better than it was the first time through and you know this is a safe space so i can say it. i like this book this was a fun book i i had a blast reading it it was gorgeous to look at it takes familiar characters puts them in an unfamiliar situation it really plays with genre and the superhero um really mixes them together in a way that's just wonderful and you don't get a lot i've been thinking a lot this week about a quote by alan moore and him talking about his work with dc and his regrets with things like watchmen and the killing joke and him talking about how one of the things he wanted is how one of the things that upset him is that he feels dc took the wrong lessons away from his work with the killing joke and watchmen being like he wanted to say like hey look you can take these old ideas and you can put them into these new spaces and do different things with them. They don't have to be the same story over and over again, ad nauseum until we all die. You can do something fun, mix with the genres a little bit, try something new. And DC's like, got it. Everything's dark and gritty now. Thank you. <laughs> and he's like, nope, that, that's not what I meant. And I think in a, like the older I get as a comic fan, like reading comics for 10 years, there's the, there's the same superhero stories I read over and over again. I'm like, they're always fun. They're always great. But sometimes I want things to be a little different. And this is a wonderful just shot of life to mix up these genres like this, make something unique, make something original, and really have some interesting heart in it. Like people, I people get really hung up on on characterization, even on things outside of like the mainstream. And it's it's interesting because I think it really handicaps the types of stories you can tell. And I love it when stories untether themselves from that and just say, I'm going to tell a story with familiar characters, but I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. And you take it or leave it as it is. And I think if you take it, there's a lot to be enjoyed there. And I had a, a blast with the the murder mystery with the JLI at the heart of it. I thought it was wonderful. I just want to like drill down on this idea of DC allowing books to exist outside of continuity mm -hmm. and going like, 
here's a mini series and Tom King has thrived in recent years being oh, allowed yeah. to do that with things like Supergirl woman of tomorrow, danger street and the human target. He's allowed to have a beginning, a middle and end. And mm -hmm. that is just so satisfying. And you don't have to worry about what's going on beyond the spine of this book. Mm -hmm. All you need to focus on is the contents here. And Man, I think that's why like DC has just been owning the mainstream comic space of late. Oh yeah. I, I was thinking about that just today. I was thinking like there's a lot of people that there's there's two types of comic fans I see. There's the ones that follow creators and there's the ones that follow characters. And I used to be one of the people who follow characters exclusively, but when you do that, it's so difficult because you follow a char character over the decades and every time they're written by someone else, they're drawn by someone else, they act a different way, they do different things. Sometimes their names are different. It's just, it's always different. You have to constantly like shape this character into the character you want them to be. You take and pick what you want. You ignore everything else. And you have to force this character to be the, the character you want them to be, the character you're here for. But if you take a story like this that has a beginning, middle, and end, you just take that chunk and you can appreciate that chunk. It There's nothing else. Everything it wants you to, everything it wants you to take away from it is right there. And it makes things so much easier. Yeah. And, and it creates it, stakes. Yeah, like exactly. Things happen in this book that can't help happen elsewhere. Oh yeah, I and, think it also yeah. it broadens the medium of comics, right? If especially superhero comics, if our superhero comics can only be the Chris Claremont ongoing soap opera forever, we have seen arguably the best that will ever be. Like I hope that's not true, but who has done what Chris Claremont did since Chris Claremont did it? And so let's say. We can keep doing that. We can have these big epic runs that are delightful, that are the never ending second act. But why don't we also have some like more novelistic approach? Why don't we have a few 300 page beginning, middle and end stories about these characters that you can hand to people? And I think some of the bafflement of people online about the popularity of Tom King misses the fact that this is so much more accessible to someone than 90% of the comic books we want them to read. Mm -hmm. It is so much easier to hand somebody the human target than it is to hand even Frank Miller's Daredevil run, right? You say yeah. these things to people like, this foundational text will help you understand why comics are great. Here's a thousand pages and you got to go and track down how to read it. That is a lot harder than handing someone Far Sector, which is one paperback and will let them fall in love with comic books as a medium. And it, it doesn't need to have a greater than less than sign between these two mediums of superhero comics. Yeah, I like, I think that what Tom King is going for is something very literary. And he makes fun of himself for it. Was that me? Did I ding? <laughs> you did. Oh me. my How? gosh. Oh, oh thank God. Because oh. <laughs> I'm the guest. You can dig, ding all you want. But if I dig, gosh, gosh, but Game like, over. I feel like Tom King is going for something extremely literary and he even teases himself for it within the context of human target where it's just like, you know, literature is just sad men trying to explain life by telling stories about sad men who don't figure out life. And, um, and I, and like, to me, like, I will never get, I'll never get tired of the story of someone trying to figure it all out. I find that really satisfying, but like, I, I think of like comics, like, like a water park where it's just like some days you just want to be on the lazy river 
going around in circles, passing the same mm-hmm. stuff. And, and yeah, you know, sometimes you want to bob with your legs in the water and sometimes you want to be in the tube. But it's not like however you do it, the lazy river, you can get in where you want, you can get out where you want. But then sometimes you do want to you do want to slide. Right. And it's, it's all the same ticket. You love comics. Uh, ride, ride however you wish. Put that on the next CBCC stickers. Ride however you wish. <laughs> you can choose whatever artwork you'd like with that. I love that. Meta- I love that metaphor. I think that's I, great. I literally just thought of it and I'm really proud of it. And I'm probably going to use it again in the future. Please, please. It's big gotta, brain. Got to yeah. jot that down. <laughs> ride however you wish. <laughs> Out of context will still make sense. Yeah, perfect. People across the board, people put mm-hmm. it on the back of their car and passerbys like, I bet that's about superhero comics. <laughs> I, I, to, to go off those, those points, this is a book that I was, I went out for a walk because I always do like a, a short walk before the podcast trying to collect my thoughts if I can. And I walked with my dad this time and this was a comic that I, I pitched him on the way. And it's, I realized this is such an easy pitch. Like he doesn't read comics. He reads a lot of novels. Like I got my love of like Stephen King from him. So I just pitched him this nice murder mystery. And I think he actually was able to focus on it. I'm like, yeah, so it's this guy who got poisoned and he figured out that his poisoner is part of the Justice League. And my dad was like, what? You mean Superman, the Wonder Twins? I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's just, it's it's an easy hook. It's an easy sell. And if I had these in print, I would probably hand them to him and say, hey, take a look. I know you didn't finish Murder Falcon, but do me a solid and try this. <laughs> just the idea that your dad would try is... Really, really sweet. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wish I wish my dad would crack any of the comics I've gotten him over the many decades. And speaking about problematic relationships with our dads, the human target. <laughs> <laughs> this is the book for the guys who wish their dad loved him a different way. <laughs> anyway, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite books, the human target. <laughs> but yeah, I love the idea of Tom King going like, OK, he's the human target. What does that mean? What does it mean mm-hmm. to be a human target? What responsibilities are you taking and what and what are those responsibilities worth to you? You know, I just think, you know, that's just so yeah. interesting. Something that was so interesting for me, I waded into Goodreads reviews of this book. Oh, no. And oh, somebody, one of the one star reviews, most of them were like, this did dirty by the JLI. And I was like, well, that's not <laughs> interesting to me. And But one of them said they felt like Christopher Chance had no personality. And I have been baffled by that this entire reread because I read that right after I read issue one. And I don't know if it's just a misunderstanding of the noir genre, but I was like, this is such classic noir iceberg type storytelling. Like Christopher Chance is not going to have a soliloquy about how he's broken inside. But boy, is he going to show you in every single moment of his life Mm -hmm. what's going on with him. And also... He does have a personality. The way he interacts with people is very distinct. I, I've been so interested with how noir as a genre made this book inaccessible to some of the people that wanted to read it. Because as someone that loves noir, I mean, I was in my bag here. But yeah, I mean, and I know that noir is not always your favorite. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the noir trappings of the human target? I... Sometimes for me, I think noir falls into a a, a multi layered trap where sometimes I'm. It's I think noir good. falls into a yeah that it's just too tough. It it falls into a trap for me where it's like I don't like a lot of the ways that relies on a lot of um, outdated stereotypes in how we how we write characters, how we approach characters, specifically women. 
And sometimes it's, it takes a while for my head to get like, okay, just get past it. Yeah, it's, you know what to expect. You understand what's going to happen here. Misogyny and, is essential to the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you approach it from that aspect. And you're like, okay, I got it. I got it. We're, we're back. We're back. We're game. But it's, I think the thing that Human Target does great with the noir genre is it kind of freshens it up. It turns it on its head a bit. I was thinking um, just how gorgeous Greg Smallwood's art is and how colorful and vibrant and how when I think noir, I think dark and gritty and grimy. And this is the exact opposite of it in every way. This is a book that like wows you on every single page. And if you weren't like actively reading the story, it'd be so easy to forget that it is a noir, that it is a story about how broken this man is. And also, I appreciate the fact that <laughs> tripping, um, flipping the noir genre on his head, it's the guy who doesn't get out alive, but the girl does. So we appreciate that. That was also wonderful. Um, seeing Ice at the end of the story was was very, very fulfilling. And yeah. I feel like Ice still is that like classic femme fatale kind of oh, yeah. thing where, you know, like... Um, people had expectations for her and within the confines of those expectations, she did something that like, she did something desperate, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And, and like, I think what makes noir so interesting is that it, it like, it puts sympathy towards women. It, in a certain way that I feel like other films of its time didn't have, where it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, like um, this woman doesn't have the options of a man. So she's, she's using what she can to get what she needs or wants. Yeah. I think the other thing mm -hmm. that a human target does that often noirs don't is yes, it's chances story. And we, most of the story is told through his inner life, but mm -hmm. human target also does take moments to reveal the inner life of ice. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that access mm -hmm. feels really unique for its genre. Oh, it yeah. feels like it's what drives the book, honestly, mm -hmm. especially volume two of this, as yeah. we begin to understand ice more and why she did what she did. And spoilers for the human target. I hope you have read this before listening to this um, moving forward. We are going to spoil all of human target here. Uh, so you've been warned 18 minutes in. there's your free 18 minutes ice her motivation for being the killer of lex luther is fascinating because it's it's not a vindictive thing it's about reclaiming who she is as a person and reading this book again knowing that she is the person for sure that killed lex luther I mean, it's on like page three of this book when she talks about how like the pretty little murderer that went on to be a nice girl so no one would remember the dark thing that she did and how that just chipped away at her every day of mm -hmm. her life and having to put this mask on in the same way the human target has to put a mask on like the lie she has to put out into the world finally broke and cracked and i think you're exactly right brad this book allows her to have an interiority that other greats from this genre don't always yeah and i think what's so fun for me and maybe um, uh, one or all of you will disagree uh, but I felt pretty confident from the first issue or the second issue maybe that Ice was the killer mm -hmm. yeah. and it's the excitement is just getting to that point 
and getting to the reasoning and then getting to the play out and how much and the fallout and how much the reasoning and the the fault like didn't turn out to not actually matter like yeah the Mm. um who did the murder it just changed the perspective on the on the whole story you know, it's that's not what it's about. That was the worst sentence I've ever had. Have said. <laughs> Can we start over? Let's start over. No, I'm joking. From the top. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's the story is is a murder mystery, but that's not what it's about. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, see, some of us no. were very dazzled by ice and could not believe she had done anything wrong. Some of us were like, oh, she didn't do it. Come on, look how flirty she is. She didn't do it. Well, and there, I mean, as you're reading the story and you are presented other possibilities you're like mm-hmm. oh okay okay yeah or so it was this it's not ice and then you go oh wait maybe it is ice oh no can't be ice it's got to be this you know uh that you know, like the story still plays with you and your expectations um but i like how it ultimately pays off your initial expectation or at least my initial expectation oh yeah and it it does that by like introducing so many other viable options it make it plays guy up to be you know the guy of the eighties, the most unbearable person in the universe. And you're like, Oh, it was definitely him. And then you get introduced to, to fire who plays the more traditional, like femme fatale lo- role later on. And it, they paint such a wonderful picture trying to lead you in that direction. But then when it comes back and it's just like, it, it, it was ice all along and it doesn't matter. And the Batman uh, issue, the oh. Batman <laughs> issue was incredible. That was that, that this read through is the first time I got to read that issue. And I Worth was like, price oh, wow, that, that got me. Yeah. What's it like to be hunted by the Batman? Oh, it's absolutely fucking insane is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I also loved that, like, within the context of the book, you could pick up pretty early that it's Batman. But the cover having Batman's shadow on it made it a key to your being a part of the tension from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think in an era where the comic book cover is becoming more and more divorced from what is going on inside the comic book because of, I mean, various reasons. It was fun to see a return to sort of the Watchmen approach of this is the first panel. When you pick this book up, look at this cover. This is going to let you know the tone of what's going on. And so I was always scared of the Batman. I knew it was the Batman issue, understanding how each of these issues had been set up. And so I was right there with Christopher Chance. And I think if like you had a different variant on this, as pretty as it might be, you would miss out on some of the storytelling chops of what Smallwood does with this book. A hundred percent. Because you get to the the last page of that book, and then again, you just want to like stand up and cheer uh, the creators. Like, oh my gosh, like what what a way to push us into the next issue using Batman's intelligence without and without Batman being present yeah yeah it's it's so fun it still though is not my favorite of the issues my favorite has to be martian manhunter and slingshotting into the memories of both men over the course of passing a tube of salt a tube nice a salt shaker (laughs) and i love that like in online discourse about this book, which I don't want to spend a ton of time on, but even people who are vitriolic about disliking this book will be like, well, except that Martian Manhunter issue. That was pretty crazy. That was that was pretty awesome. I can't argue there. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, you're... the machinations of that issue are just so present and enjoyable. It forces you to slow down, for sure. Oh, yeah. I loved... We, we just talked with Tom King a couple of days ago, and it'll be published after this episode. Humble he brag. Talked to... 
He talked about one of the big lessons he's learned from Ed Brubaker in recent years is the use of narration to slow down the reader. He's like, you don't want to restate things in a Stan Lee way where you're narrating action, but it is okay to narrate the story alongside the art because it forces the reader to take their time in each of these scenes. And so having him tell us that right before reading The Human Target, it was so clear that that was what was going on with this more Mm -hmm. verbose style than something like his Batman run that, I mean, on our on our show, he called those one crap comics. He's like, you get those done in one trip to the bathroom. He's like, I'm trying to stretch those out. And I just, I think of like issue 11, the narration of Christopher Chance and Ice sitting down on their little ice island and forcing me to spend much, much longer with them in that moment because it's narrated then like earlier in the issue when he had died and we very quickly go through that because there's no narration. Like you could see Tom King running the gas pedal of this comic in a really interesting way. I also think the repetitiveness and the slow evolution of the narration feels like you get to, because this is a story about a man changing his mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so like you, you almost feel like you're watching him change his mind in real time where he's going back to those same touch tone thoughts of I don't want to die like my dad. And mm-hmm. every time he, he, he t- touches back on that place, he's looking at it from a slightly different angle. Absolutely. And what did you think of the narration? You and I've talked a lot about narration over the last six months in comic books. What yeah. did you think of the narration of this comic? No, I, 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 I don't think I have anything to add to what you said. I thought you summed it up really perfectly. It does a great job at like keeping you engaged with it. Cause it's, this isn't like typical Tom King, um, six, nine panel spreads. There's a window it's raining. I'm sad type of comic. And like, I'm looking at the panels right now and there's huge three page um, panel spreads. And you could go through that so quickly. Just boom, boom, boom. I remember I was actually, I was reading a comic in front of my dad the other day. And not to bring my dad back into the story again, but I was reading through it and my dad's just staring at me. He's like, aren't you done yet? There's only like seven words on that page. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, that's not all there is. That's not Gotta all there the is. Art. Gotta, Gotta read, read the, the art. art, dad. <laughs> and anything that slows me down to appreciate Greg Smallwood, Smallwood a bit more is always, always welcome. It And it also adds to the very like soothing. It's, it's not soothing. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a very casual book it's a very intentionally slow burn book i put on smooth jazz while listening to this book um yesterday and it was the best experience ever because you can already kind of hear it playing in the background and adding it physically was wonderful like the art is like luminous oh yeah like like it's just so bright and um and you'd think that that would run contrary to the story because the story is act if somebody is about somebody actively dying, but like he's also um, realizing how precious his time is. And I think that just the, the shimmering coolness of Greg Smallwood's art, like underscores that it's loose, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the illustration is loose. Mm-hmm. It's sketchy. It, it, it feels uh, effortless and effortful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, extremely considerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, it's just, it's art you don't encounter 
every day, every year. I mean, it's it's next level quality. One oh, of yeah. the most interesting, one of the greatest things to come out of Twitter.com, in my opinion, was Greg Smallwood's thread on how he approached the artwork of the human target. We, For listeners, we retweeted it this last week. You can find it in our feed very quickly. But the TLDR, if you're not going to go read that amazing breakdown from the actual artist, was that one of the largest lessons that Greg Smallwood took from mid-century artists was how important juxtaposition of texture and detail was in addition to juxtaposition of color and actual images. And so throughout the human target, like Brad said, you will see incredibly detailed work right next to incredibly sketchy and almost unfinished bits of artwork Mm -hmm. there. One of, for me, the thing that is stuck in my head on in the fire issue, some of that juxtaposition is done by a very intentionally digital fire on mm-hmm. her fingertip. And for a long time, that rubbed me so wrong. I was like, Same. that's just so clearly like a little emoticon you put in there. And on this reread, I'm like, I, you're a genius though. Yeah. Like it, it's stuck in my head because you're a genius. You've layered so many aspects of what it means to be an artist. And you were using the full ability of everything at your disposal in 2023 to make this comic book. And it just... It sticks with you for a reason like that kind of intentionality absolutely comes through and creates, I mean, the 101 Dalmatians effect. There's never been anything as pretty as 101 Dalmatians until this comic book is now right next to 101 Dalmatians in prettiest yeah. things ever made. And I think like that's another reason why Tom King has been killing it in the last batch of years is he's been finding these God tier artists to collaborate with. And Tom Mm -hmm. King is great. Like I love Tom King. I love how in, like I was saying how interior and how the character and emotion is central to the comic. Like the plot is back here, you know, is really uh, secondary, if not, you know, even further back. Um, But he has been lucky or smart enough to find people like Greg Smallwood, Bilquis Evely, uh, Jorge Fornes, you know, and it's whenever or Elsa Chartier, I don't want to yes. not forget Elsa Chartier. Yes, yes. Uh, whenever you see those collaborations, I mean, they just feel like they feel like events, mm. you know, when you find the right two people together. Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. it's fun to see two people pushing themselves next to each other. You know, mm-hmm. like they're it's hard not to want to phone it in sometimes throughout the course of your life. Like how many of us phoned it in on our job? All of us. <laughs> and it's fun to see Tom King and his artistic collaborators consistently push each other. Like you can tell that Tom King is pushing to keep up with Greg Smallwood. And you can tell, I mean, Greg Smallwood after his Moon Knight run with Jeff Lemire was somebody to watch. And then when the human target came out, it felt like he had gone and done a Dragon Ball Z time capsule. We are like, you trained for a thousand years? What happened? Where have you been? How did this occur? Yeah. And it just, it's mind bending. This book would not be what it is without Greg Smallwood. And I feel like Tom King, you know, for all the crap that he gets for like, oh, he's nine panel grids and it's just a bunch of words on the page. He inherently understands that the comic is a visual experience and he is handing over, you know, the, 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 the execution to geniuses. 
And I think he also understands the economy of language. Like he can like mm-hmm. he can turn a phrase where like on every page there's like, okay, I'm writing that down. That's a keeper. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the way that he can distill yeah. like um his theme into one or two sentences. I'm just like Yeah. Damn. Screenshot that caption. Yeah. Yeah. The Gnort issue when I read long sections of that dialogue to my wife and I never read her comic books. She That is not her medium. And she was chuckling with me. Like when he talks about how he's not allowed to bring anyone in with him to the records room. And then he's like, so don't tell anybody. Okay. Cause I really <laughs> learned my lesson. Like there are so many punchlines in this that are yeah. set up both visually and linguistically. And it's just, like you said, the economy of words in this book is through the roof. I'm ex- that is exactly how I would be as a Green Lantern, anyway. <laughs> like just like just publicly making mistakes. Like the same with Booster Gold, the the yeah. just the relationship with mistakes and how uh, mm-hmm. how Chance really admires it and goes like, "Man, I really I really wish I could make some mistakes and just really own them." And just mm-hmm. really own them. But like, yeah, I would be like, you know, hyper vigilant people pleaser over here. You know, like, <laughs> like you want to get in the records room? That's great. Come on in. You know, just this is probably anyone. fine. I've been in trouble before. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yes. you, as long as you still like me and they still like me, then I still like me. <laughs> Everybody in this room's cool with me, right? Because otherwise I'm going to spiral. <laughs> I not to leave Clayton Cowles out of this as well. Issue right. four, the Blue Beetle issue. I know this is very like this is when lettering's being big and flashy, so this is when I notice. But the action being portrayed through big 1980s style booms, kapows, butta butta buttas, as we just watch Christopher Chance watch Ice and Blue Beetle beat up the robbers. It's some of the best comic booking in recent memory. Like it, the implication of what's going on is so much more entertaining than anything we could have seen. And it fits mm-hmm. tonally this book so much better. And the choice of font, the choice of the loudness of colors over the top. Again, that visual juxtaposition where these mm-hmm. feel so classic comic booky against this very new age comic book style. It, it creates a perfect page, in my opinion. Also, going back to the Gnort issue, all the lettering on Gnort uh, when he's drunk is fabulous yes. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it's like the you know uh like the lettering says so like it's such a shorthand where like you you see the tone of the lettering of the big 80s um poetics or you see like you, you go like oh well this is a this is uh goofy fighting and this is silly drunk it's communicating you know, so quickly yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's just like it's just a fluency of the medium I think we often undersell lettering's ability to sell the tone of whatever's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a comic book can, like you said, either be silly or serious, completely based on the lettering, changing nothing else. And that that's a power that isn't present in any other medium. Like the closest you can get in a novel is italics or bold or caps. And that is does not have the kind of fluidity that a comic book letterer gets to have. But you when do you every have... once in a while see like a YA book that just makes a wild choice of font. And you're like, it's just, just like, now I'm embarrassed, you know? 
Like, I can't be reading this with this font. What if somebody uh, looks over my shoulder from outside the window? And they won't respect oh, me anymore. <laughs> all those font snobs on the street are going to laugh at me. <laughs> no, you're, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I, I'm, I'm with Brad. The, the moments with Norit really stood out with me too. I, I think I love creative um, word bubble choices. I think it's one of my favorite things about um, Step on the Sage whenever we read Sunstone and there's like the moments where they're yelling and the word bubble turns into a skull and you're like, okay, yeah, I I feel it. It's it's just great. It's the the subtle things and also the, the subtlety of the rest of the word bubble, bubbles throughout the entire mm-hmm. comic. I think they really add to just how laid back the story is. It's like he's on a ticking clock, but you never feel like we're in a hurry to get there. Like I got 12 days left. I'm going to take my time and get there when I get there. Mm-hmm. And so it's Nort. It's not the Nort. Is that I have way? no idea. I have not a clue. Okay. He's I'm just going to call him friend. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's what he is. I'm going to call him Mitch Garrett's mustache. That's <laughs> what I'm going to call him. Okay, wait, no, that's true. That's solid. So I was excited to talk with Brad and Lisa about this comic book because they are comic book couples counseling. Folks. Oh, they are? If you have not listened to their podcast, they take these characters and they give them as much interiority as the very best writers. They make all of these mm-hmm. decisions that these characters make feel human, feel important, and feel dramatic. And so I want to talk about the kissing parts of this book. Yeah. I want to talk about ice and human target as a couple. I want to turn it over to our experts. What do you think of the couple Switches. at the heart I'm, of this? I'm astounded that that poison that's slowly killing him from the inside, like does not affect his blood flow like whatsoever. <laughs> nah, he's virile. <laughs> yeah, he's still going. Like, t- like three, four times a day. You know, and he's an older hurt. guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, there comes I'm, a point where it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, like, but it, she's made of ice, so like, if it hurts, like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna put yeah. ice on it. Put some ice on it. <laughs> That's so. exactly what he did. Actually, his heart hurts, so he put some ice on it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Those are my, all of my thoughts. No. <laughs> I think they boofed a lot of times. Uh, yeah, like. You, you know, they are one of those couples that, you know, there's a there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of things that that are not being said. Uh, you know, if if Christopher Chance uh, had a few more days, would they last? You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, are they an OTP? Um, I but I I fully invest in the time that you have with them. And mm-hmm. when it is over, I am profoundly sad. Uh, and yet the way that their romance continues beyond his death is really fascinating. And uh, I like, you know, I would love to talk about this book on comic book couples counseling. I'd love to go into session with them at some point. I love the idea of falling in love with someone can be something that is entirely separate from the circumstances from like, can you fall in love with someone who has never told you the truth and they can fall in love back? Well, we talked about that recently Mm -hmm. in our first Scott and Emma episode where Emma initially puts the moves on Scott through that uh, sex therapist sequence because she's trying to get at Jean Grey. You know, she, she is starting that romance through antagonism and then in the process of doing that, finds actual feelings for Scott Summers. 
Yeah. And well, something I, similar is happening here, I think. I feel like it that also comes up in the confession because in it, Dark X-Men in the Dark Confession. X-Men, the confession. This is the period where in which we just promote our podcast. Oh, no. That's but, perfect. Like, yes. That's perfect. That idea of someone saying, like, I can trust you despite all of the evidence to the contrary. Like like you're you've lied to my face several times many times to everybody that i know and i still trust you implicitly and i still love you you've killed me yeah. in the human targets case <laughs> yeah. and i'm still you know it wasn't personal and and i think like well and he agrees with the move you know like right. he 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 sympathizes with ice's you know um you know assassination Game recognizes game. Frankly. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I think a lot of like, you know, what makes relationships good is uh, like an, an aligned set of priorities, and how quickly like, um, they're willing to change their priorities to to make each other a priority. You know that yeah. There's a couple of times where you know he does knock her out um with um drugs so that she, he can go do some do some uh investigating stuff you right? gotta do that you gotta you gotta you know yeah. do that every fellas. day fellas yeah fellas sometimes but he regrets doing it because he regrets the time spent you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah 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 sometimes like, you gotta go on a side quest yeah and, you know <laughs> she's not invited <laughs> she's not invited well she is a suspect the whole time she cannot come to his super secret clubhouse yeah no can yeah. <laughs> but i love them together right I and that's the together. appeal that's ultimately like the main thrust of the narrative i love that he starts the book really not respecting himself and not liking himself mm-hmm. and he ends the book still not respecting or liking himself but wanting to stay. You know what yeah. I mean? Like what makes mm-hmm. worth life worth living? What like what what makes life worth living? It can't be life. It can't be just breathing and getting your job done and, you know, it can't just be survival. It has to be something else. And mm-hmm. like it would really be beautiful if Christopher Chance had the time to heal his relationship with himself, but like I'm glad that he had the opportunity to heal his relationship with existing. Like, it's like, maybe it's not like, you know, when he decided to become the human target after his dad died, he goes like, well, if I like, my goal in life is to be a person who doesn't matter so that the person who do, who do matter can continue to exist. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, that has monetary value. Like that is a value. And, um, and then suddenly you're doing that for Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did I get here? Yeah. Well, well, cause then he was doing it for, you know, the, the money, but the money slowed down. Right. Um, like the, the demand went down and then all of a sudden he didn't have all of the same access that he used to have. And so, um, yeah, but like, like, I think that there are times when, you know, you can't stand your own company, but you would lo- like, but you would stay on the planet for the company of somebody else. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that that's what this story is here for. Yeah. It, because there's that moment in like the, it was either the last issue or the second to last issue where he realizes why his dad was begging for his life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for him. It was because he wanted another day with his son 
it's that connection to someone else that makes it really special. And I, I think that's a great observation. Yeah. I also, this book name checks Tolstoy. So I'm not just being guy who's reading okay. Anna Karenina mm-hmm. talks about go. Anna Karenina. Here we go. But the thesis of Anna Karenina at 500 pages in seems to be love is what keeps the darkness at bay. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite character in the book is named Levin and he begins the book in love. He spends the middle of the first half of the book heartbroken. And then he like comes to a very Christopher chance place where he's like, nothing matters. He's trying to fill like, like Lisa said, he's trying to find meaning in life by like doing his job and taking more breaths. And it is just not enough. Like he gets to a really dark place and then he sees the glimmer of love again. And it goes away in an instant in this book that is so methodical in every choice and every emotion building off of other emotions in a very realistic sense of time and place in an instant that darkness goes away when he sees even the ember of love and that kind of fulfillment again and then that gets that gets fanned that flame grows and it helps push that darkness away as we see another character lose love and begin that descent into darkness again and so you just get this these ups and downs of darkness and love and i i kind of think that's at the heart of the human target as well and whether you agree with that thesis or not it seems to be at the heart of these books that it's each other that makes life worth living. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic love, but love and camaraderie with other people is what makes our time here worthwhile. And I think that's a really interesting thing to explore with a noir tale, which is usually so about this central stoic character who doesn't need anybody else. I also like the the message of like, um, like I, I feel like sometimes a lot of life's momentum comes out of like a to-do list where mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, well, you know, I have to, you know, teach my piano lessons and then I have to come home and, you know, make dinner. And like, and it's just like that momentum of like crossing things off the to-do list that like kind mm-hmm. of like I find myself just cl- kind of like clawing my way towards the future. And I think about like um, the scene where he is the first time he skips rocks with his dad mm-hmm. and his dad say, and him like getting really frustrated, you know, like, like his dad can skip rocks already. And I, I can't even skip rocks a little. And he goes like, Oh, well, you know, just look around. The sun's just coming up. We have literally all day to do this. Like we ha- mm-hmm. have literally all day to get good at something that like, doesn't matter. Like, you know, like we have our entire lives to to spend our time focused on something that just is just you know dissatisfying by its not because it's productive but be but because it is quality time you know i love that idea Mm. of like going like but have i really mastered skipping rocks have i really mastered you know actually chilling out for one second the answer is no the answer is nay i'm worried right now Thank you, capitalism. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks for making us all feel like our time is our only resource. That's awesome. <laughs> and what did you think of this couple? That was when we argued about this book a year and a half ago, you were mad at the, this romantic pairing. And now I want to smugly sit on my throne and have you tell me that it's awesome. So go ahead. Yeah. Let me know. Just going to turn my camera off and (laughs) slowly weep um yeah no listen (laughs) again when i was um 
when this book was coming out, I definitely wanted something else. And I fell into the trap that um, <laughs> I think other JLI fans will, other queer JLI fans will. Because you have two camps. You have the people that want Booster and Ted to be together. And you have the camp that want Fire and Ice to be together. And you're just like, this is this is it. They're, they're OTP. They're my favorites. I love them. And then all of a sudden there's this guy, Christopher Chance. And I'm like, who? Who? Who do you? You you're you're just gonna stroll in here and okay, you're kissing ice. Okay, that that took five seconds. Thank you very much. That's dead. Dreams and hopes are down the gutter. It's all over for the gays. We're fucked. That was what was happening when I was reading the Human Target the first time through. This time through, fully embracing it for what it is and the 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 genre was gonna be. I'm like, okay, so we're reading it from this perspective. Does this does this click? And I think it was the second issue talking about um how she was a person who was broken and she had acted for so long. Like she was the nice one. She was the, the perfect one. And that was, that was something that really, really resonated. And I liked the fact that they were able to find that in each other. I thought it was so complicated and so fun. I, I like it when things are messy. I like falling for the person that killed you. I think that's so, so interesting. And you don't see that anymore. So, so often I feel like characters need to be perfectly sanitized. They need to be perfect Puritans or else someone's going to get mad and someone's going to say, this can't happen. This is impossible. I like having that complexity in the, in a relationship dynamic. I think it's fun. And I think I was actually, I, I, I turned around on them before the second time through because I, it was the moment I learned not to speak about this book online where I was like, you know what? I actually, I, I see what I, I think I see what Tom King's going for with the relationship between like ice and guy versus the relationship between ice and chance where it's just guy is the one who accepts the version of ice that she wants everyone to see her as. And Christopher is the guy who sees her Mm -hmm. and accepts her as the version she actually is. And someone's yeah. And someone's like, Oh, so you just think that she's a a device for Christopher chance. I'm like, I don't, whatever you're saying, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm not talking about the book again. I I, I quit. I give up. And I think that's also the moment where I'm like, I'll, I'll come back to it later. So it was, it's, it's, it's complicated, but I think that's what makes it interesting. What do you think about like his first time telling her directly, like, I love you is when he thinks they have just murdered someone together. (laughs) That's hot. That is kind of hot. (laughs) Yeah, listen. (laughs) I feel like I'm being trapped right now. Hey, listen, everyone, everyone keeps posting that picture of Guy Gardner getting his face punched in. It's like, oh, isn't this a Guy Gardner? It's like, you know, resident Guy Gardner fan here. Um, Actually, it's not, because as we find out later, that's a construct. And for Guy Gardner to be so adept as to make a construct that not only mimics him perfectly, but also thaws out afterwards with realistic <laughs> blood. That man is the goat, the guy of all time. Best Green Lantern we've ever seen. I tell you what, even if he's an asshole, he's my asshole. And you know what? <laughs> when Christopher, what, when the human target lures him out into getting smashed by the truck, I was like, this is the coolest that was comic so that funny. existed. Get Biff Tannen, get his ass. This rules, this rules. Knock him out post mortem with your ashes. That's cool. As, that's that's the coolest thing you could do. That's the moment where I was just like, "Oh, Chef's kiss." Of course, <laughs> comics, baby. But they kind it's of fun. human target the human target, like that idea of like, um, you have to lure them with the lie that they want to believe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Christopher just wanted Guy Gardner out of the way. Like he was just 
this tremendous inconvenience, you know? Yeah. And they fulfilled that wish. Yeah. And I think he also, <laughs> he kind of was internally okay with ice being a murderer because ice murdered him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So he's just like, yeah. clearly I'm chill with this. Cause she murdered me. <laughs> And we're still going at it four to nine times a day. <laughs> He's like, uh, have you seen how bad she is? Like, There's actually as evil as you can be is how attractive you are. And ice is allowed to murder hey, people. She the bad. fact that she could just walk into a, a store and find the perfect bikini. I was so mad. I know. I was like, that is that's girl. Bad. <laughs> bad. Bad. But even though, uh, you know, Christopher Chance has like left the planet. I think that opens her up to just more relationships. Now, like now she mm-hmm. understands a little bit better how she wants to feel in a relationship. And I think yeah. that like her, it'll raise the bar for, for wherever, she, whatever kind of love she wants to find next. Exactly. No more guy gardeners. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> I also, you know what I mean? To... He's like the kind of guy where you bring him bowling with your friends and your friends are like, Oh my God, this is, we're all. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's my high school friend. Just just go with it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, so, at some point tonight, he's going to say something I'm going to have to apologize for later. And He doesn't actually think that. He's totally kidding, okay? <laughs> he has a really twisted sense of humor. In film noir terms, he's a real Dan Durier. And uh, if you get that reference, you're old like me. Yay! I don't get it. Nor do I. Sorry. Back to the comics here. I'm politely chuckling. <laughs> There's someone online who's like, dude, he is Dan Duryea. I'm like, I know, right? Person that's listening right now, fellow Dan Duryea fan. Did we understand like the naming of the chapters? Like I was trying no. to like figure oh, out what the, the pattern names? was. Oh, yeah, they were. And they're named crazy things where I like... Uh, so like the first chapter was like when we were born and then the second chapter is we cry. I was like, that's a continuation of that thought. And then number three is that we are come is what it looks like. The text says, and then to this great stage of forces of, or something. I also can't read my own handwriting cause I'm flipping through. Like I I'm just read Shakespeare. Yeah, I was like, I could have Googled it, but I was like, we can talk about this. Maybe Dallas Googled it. He did not, but (laughs) but he is literary. Yeah, yeah. He's reading Tolstoy. Yeah, they're all Tolstoy quotes. Are they? I wish. No, no, they're not. Okay, (laughs) they're way too happy. But then the last two chapters are like, kill, 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 kill. 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 So I mean, is that also Shakespeare? I don't know. I hope so. I think that's the end of Henry VIII. The only one I searched up is I searched up chapter seven to shoe a troop of horse with felt, and that is Shakespeare. So I feel like okay, mm, yeah, mm, look at my, my my Shakespeare is not up to snuff enough to even begin to to unravel the meaning there. So um, yeah, I, I'm a I was an opera major, so my skill is recognizing Nessun Dorma when it comes up in every action film. <laughs> That's like my only my nice. only thing. And and I turn to Brown and go, "Who's the composer? You're an idiot." <laughs> True. <laughs> Yeah, this guy doesn't know magic flute from not magic flute. Okay. What? I'm a real dummy. My wife just taught me what Fosse is. And oh yeah. So now every time we see it and anything, I'm like hey, Fosse, and she's like, I taught you that. This isn't news to me. And I'm like, but I'm the one that said it out loud. Yeah, yeah. So that's what makes take it cool. That lady. Yeah, come on. I want to know how we feel about fire and Martian Manhunter as well. 
That was so crazy. When she singed him a little bit with her fire finger, I was like, that's the craziest comic of ever. Like, damn, damn. And I need a four issue mini on just that scene, please. Oh, uh, yeah. So I hope you got a safe word. Hope everything's staying above I, board. But, you know, rock it. I feel like it was a real crunchy contrast to mm-hmm. Christopher and Ice. You know, where it's like, well, you know, this is what it really looks like to have an affair affair where everybody <laughs> you have sex and then everybody feels bad or at least one party. feels bad. When she says, cool it with the crying, you're a manhunter. I was like, that is devastating. That is I devastating. need to go take a cold shower. That's a crazy thing to say, Fire. That issue is so much. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, this page. Oh, yeah. The page oh of my God. Yes. while she drags a cig. Also, <laughs> shout out the comic book authority not existing anymore so we can have five dragon cigs this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking it. looks so cool. Manhunter saying, start. that's not me. I'm someone else. Like that page, that splash page, I need that as a poster and I want it on, uh, hanging over our bed, Lisa. Yeah. But like that is kind of like, you know... Like, I don't know, but it, kind of what, like, what human target is about. You well, know? like, you were get like, uh-huh. you get to that issue and you're like, DC's like, go ahead with this. It's, a, it's, it's awesome. That's because it's that happening was, it was in this, wild. in this, like, cushy little, like, well, it's not continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do whatever you so, want. So do it. Yeah. The, just the idea of Martian Manhunter hooking up with literal fire is, is great. Where it's like, you know what? Superman and the Kryptonite Man need to start, start dating. They need to exchange phone numbers. Yeah, would read. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. Did you always think that the conclusion of this book was going to be Christopher Chance peacing out? Like, Did, did you I expect did. him to die? Yes. I think, yeah. yeah. That '90s kid in me still just doesn't believe in out of out of continuity comics. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just mad we didn't get to see the scene after he closes his eyes and he opens them back up, and there's a Greg Smallwood death stand in there. Being like, hey, <laughs> that that's my one regret in this comic is we didn't get to see Greg's death. That would have been great. His version of death, not his literal death. That was phrased weird. Let me let me repeat. I want Greg Smallwood's Death of the Endless from Sandman. There we go. All the qualifiers at the end. Nice. Nice. Can't be clipped now. Are we ready to move on to some listener questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So. so we'll now break real quick for our Patreon ad, and we'll be back in just a sec. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Patreon of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis. I'm Dallas. And I'm Anne. And we are here to talk with you today about our all-new Patreon starting in January 2024. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And listen, honestly, I'm going to level with all of you out there. I really need a reason to just hang in there with these two a little bit longer. So if you could please find it in your hearts to give us just a little bit extra every month, I would really, really appreciate it so, so much. I can't speak for them, but I personally would really, really appreciate it. Honestly, at this point, we either need a large sum of money or a large secret to keep us together. And I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility with a secret. Also, also, please, please, everyone, find it in the goodness of your heart to finally aid 
in these two teaching me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. They've been leading me on for a long ass time. And hey, we've got lots of fun perks that we're going to roll out. I mean, this year, our goal, we want to keep things nice and clean. We want to keep our episodes to a predictable amount of time so everyone knows what they're expecting from an episode of the Comics Collective. But we don't want to feel like we have to cut out all of our shenanigans. So we found a place where we're going to stick it all. Please join us on our Patreon for all the shenanigans, all the fun. Please join yeah. us. <laughs> where we stick it all. The Patreon. God damn, it. God damn it, Dallas. But first, see, you missed this. You missed this silly, goofy time. The tiers for the Patreon are first and foremost at the $2 tier, early access to an ad-free version of the show. As soon as it's done editing, it's dropping on the Patreon. You don't have to wait till Wednesday mornings anymore. For $5 a month, you get early access of that ad-free show, and you also get a weekly extended after the credits chit-chat with Anne, Lexi, and Dallas. A closer to two-hour version of the show where we laugh, we joke, and we give you everything that of the classic comic books collective prior to Dallas's new tightened schedule regime. At the $8 a month tier, you will get a one-time specialized shout-out on the show and a live comic book recommendation in the show after you sign up. And for the exceptionally adventurous and affluent patrons of the Comics Collective, we have the option for a $50 a month tier where you will be added to a list of potential candidates for a Dungeons and Dragons one-shot adventure with the Comics Collective. After one month at the $50 tier, your name will be added to the list. Once the list has hit four individuals, we will run that two to three hour one shot where I will DM Lexi and Anne will play major characters and you and your friends, or perhaps you and some strangers, will get to hang out with us on a Discord call for an afternoon. So if any of those sound interesting to you, please go to patreon.com slash the comics collective and sign up now. Okay, so I have our listener questions, and I actually asked a few of our patrons if they had any questions when we told them that CBCC was coming on. And I am a big fan of this first one from Max Noonan Pamada, who says, how do you all feel about this version of Guy Gardner? Is it a reasonable expectation of this or exploration of his character, or did it seem extreme even for Guy? Follow-up question, sort of. Where would you rank this among Tom King's various miniseries? For me, it is up there with my two favorites, Mr. Miracle and Supergirl, in quality. Hmm. So, kind of two two questions there. How do we feel about Guy, and how do we feel about this in the larger bibliography of Tom King? I think that part of the premise of this story is that JLA is a little bit of a joke. You know? like and JLI. JLI, excuse me. That was a misspeak. <laughs> JLI is a little bit of a joke. And I think that that extremity in all of those characters is part of what brings the um, message home that like, you know, like they might be goofy, but they love the hell out of each other. Like they Mm -hmm. might not be perfect. I love uh, uh, the Red Rockets 
quote about Not Red Rocket. The Rocket Red. Isn't his name Red Rocket? That's how I wrote it down in my notes. Rocket Red. It's Rocket, Rocket Red. Red. <laughs> Whatever. Red Rocket. It's the same. It's the same. That's those it's, are the same you two. You gotta words. get it right. Gotta uh, get it right. Maybe I'm putting it in my file folder and then you switch the first name and the last name around. But like him saying, like, okay, now you've seen me at my worst and we're still hanging out. We're family now. You know, mm-hmm. like where mm-hmm. it's just like the JLI was so was messy and we don't respect them, but we but they loved yeah, each other. Like I feel like you feel a lot of love for these characters in their depictions. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm uh, much less familiar with JLI than I am other DC superhero teams. So I don't have much invested in how a character is depicted. Um, but I also feel like the Guy Gardner uh, interpretation, it leans in and makes, it leans into the caricature of Guy Gardner, but then subverts mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, and then reaffirms it. I think it's actually kind of like brilliant. <laughs> I also think that it toys with that idea of OTP, where like he comes in and he's like, this is my girl. She's my girl. She's my girl. That's the narrative is that she's my girl. And so I'm going to do the things that I should do for the person that is my girl. And she's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. In this context, it's, uh, I think it goes to the theme of the story and it does not bother me. Yeah. Say, I'm going to again reaffirm, I am such a huge Guy Gardner fan. I became a fan during that 2006 Green Lantern Corps run where through that run and into the New 52, um, writers like Peter J. Tomasi really did a great job of like fleshing out the complexities of why Guy has this really super macho, toxic, masculine personality. And he's you, you get to the point where this character becomes someone who you see as like, okay, so he's really... He has all this bravado, but he's someone who, even though he's an asshole on the outside, he has a heart of gold on the inside. And that makes him someone you want to root for and like and cheer for. He's like, I, I always heard him. He's like a guy who would not use the right pronouns, but I still like him anyway. <laughs> he's he's wonderful. Um, you, you just can't help but root for him. But I think a lot of people have recency bias when they think about Guy Gardner because he wasn't always that layered. He was always kind of that guy, especially in the JLI, who'd be so outwardly boastful and um, toxic and just the guy that you want to punch in the face. It's why everyone talks about the Batman panel where Batman punches him in the face because it was so well earned at that point. And that is who guy was in the the eighties and the nineties. And so I think this, even though it's definitely a caricature of guy and it doesn't go into the complexities of his character in a way, like one of these modern runs have it's, I think for the guy Gardner that he is specifically pulling from, this is a perfect way to use him, especially in relationship to Ice's story and in relationship to Ice and Christopher's story together. And also in relationship to Booster's story, where Booster was the biggest hero of them all to mm-hmm. Christopher Chance because he would own his mistakes, you know. That's all and Guy was too... Yeah. Yeah, Guy was too confident to even mention he had a peanut allergy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. You know, I love. I love. He's he's my favorite Biff Tannen from space. <laughs> I liked it when he got his head smashed. That was awesome. Uh, that was my Batman punching him moment. I was it him. It was his construct. My my exposure to Guy Gardner is always him kind of being this way. And I know that all the Green Lantern stuff exists, but that too many words. I'm not reading that. No way. You cannot pay me enough to read all them Green Lantern comics. We might not a chance. We might read it. Uh, and I'll has be, choices. I'll be sick. And has books to pick. 
And so I like the idea of playing with character archetypes and then twisting them a little bit, right? Because I genuinely, while I do not agree with Guy, I can see why Guy as a character thinks that he's the good guy of this story, right? Like Lisa said, he thinks that this is my girl. Like I'm being the hero here. You are hanging out with a bad guy. We are superheroes. I'm here to save you from this sleazy guy. And so I always found what he was doing compelling, even though he made me want to pull my hair out. So I really liked him. And I'm sad that like a, taking his characterization back to the center point made this a run that was hard for some people to engage with, because I think he was used as a really interesting foil to the plot mm-hmm. here. He's absolutely third build in this series of characters. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. I I think sometimes we as fans hold too much sway into other what other people think especially when it comes to our favorite characters. I'm saying that as a Captain Marvel fan who has for years and years and years been like, why are people still talking about Civil War II? Who actually cares? And have you read the book? I doubt it. It's, it's, I understand it whenever your character is put in a light that you're like, I don't like this. This isn't the version of the character I like. And it becomes the popular version that's happening right now. A lot of people are talking about Strange Adventures because James Gunn is talking about it. And there's, you know, a handful of Adam Strange fans. They're like, well, I'm not, vibing with that because I don't like the version of Adam Strange that's a bad guy so I definitely understand the perspective that people come through where it's like I found something this character I can relate to this character speaks to some part of me I don't want them to be the villain I don't want them to be the bad guy but at the same time I feel like your enemy isn't necessarily the story I think your enemy is people's literacy and being able Mm -hmm. to understand that there is a version of the character here that is different than the version of the character here and characters grow change have moments evolve stories told with dozens of different writers you can't expect everything to be perfect i think that's that's ultimately like the beauty of comics right is that like exactly 900 people have have put their hands on these characters and you know the things that last last but i like it when somebody comes in and you know uh throws in a wild take although i wouldn't necessarily consider this a wild take yeah no I also think the reality of people is that none of us are a shining knight every day Mm -hmm. and none of us are evil all the time. Right. But like there are days, there are versions of Dallas Taylor that I would not want put on a comic book. And there are versions that I would love Mm -hmm. if people put into a comic book and I am made up of all of those. And so if we want complex characters, we also have to be willing to have little burrs on the side of those characters that rub us the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Like, Peter Parker Mm -hmm. should have a temper, right? That's a big part of who his character is for a long time. Guy Gardner, kind of a beefhead, right? But he also can be inspiring. He can be heroic. We shouldn't want to boil these characters down to one note that only resonates with one note of ourselves because it's denying that we too are as complex as these characters can be. Much Mm -hmm. more so, honestly. (laughs) At least I hope. Beautifully said. Um, the second question, where does this rank for you in your overall oh, Tom yeah. King bibliography? I am not a ranker. That's just like not who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I can pretend to, to rank it. Uh, I mean, I am a ranker. He is. Big time. Uh, and I do think this is top tier Tom King. Um, I, I, you know, like, like what's my favorite Tom King project that he's associated with is probably Mr. Miracle, which was one of the first episodes we Mm -hmm. did on comic Mm -hmm. book couples counseling. Um, 
but uh, I also really love Vision. The Vision uh, is would be in there. Like it's like top five. I've never I've never actually done this. I think I think the Human Target would be in my top five. Yeah. You know, so Mister Miracle, the Vision, Human Target, um, uh, uh, Supergirl, and. Like I'm waiting for Love Everlasting to conclude, but I have a feeling it's going to be Love Everlasting. It is fantastic. Also, Rorschach snub. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, I love Rorschach. <laughs> like, like honestly, I'm such a mark for Tom King. Like, yeah. Like I just, you know, I don't know if I've loved every single comic he's ever done, but I like most of them. I'm mm-hmm. certainly going to go with him for whatever swing he takes. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. They are always interesting never a dull mm-hmm. moment oh here's in crisis moment. that's his best one that's my favorite oh there we go there we go clip it we got him <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we got him how about you Anne? where in your tom king bibliography does this rank it's it's probably up there i think um it's it's hard for me to rank with tom king stuff because every i think every time i think about this book from now on i'm just gonna go immediately to greg smallwood and i, I it feels like like when i think about it, i'm like oh that's greg's book that's greg smallwood's book but I think it's it's probably it's up there. It's I don't like it more than Supergirl. I don't like it more than Mr. Miracle. I don't like it more than um I was just thinking about it while Brad was listening off his. There's another one that's up there for me. I'll like it better than Vision, but I might like it better than um I I might like it better than Heroes in Crisis. Um honestly if I, should, I have to think <laughs> Danger about Street. it. Danger Street. I also love Danger Street. <laughs> I need to finish Danger Street. It's it's it's, good. it's solidly up there. I'm not sure if it breaks the top five, but I I think it's up there. This is probably top three for me. Um, but I my dark horses that no one ever says Strange Adventures. I think that book rules. Agreed. Especially built off of the expectations set by Mister Miracle. That as the sequel to Mister Miracle, that's genius, baby. Those books have to be read in that order. Mm. And Rorschach, incredible. I don't think anyone but me read Rorschach, but that book is genius. Jorge Fornes, a king among men. And um, his Riddler one shot was also incredible. Okay, that's in my top five. That's definitely in my top. I loved the winning card. You know, the story that went through Batman Brave and the Bold. Uh, That just wrapped up. Lisa, I really had a good time with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, the joke when the Joker is in the porta potty. That's the craziest thing that's ever happened. Because, like, you know, you don't look down there. I do now. (laughs) I look into my own toilet now. I'm like Joker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what do you have to say i just realized i remember the book that boxes out of the top five it's his um dark side war tie-in the hal jordan one-shot issue that he did that is such a spectacular single issue Nerd. Nerd. it's it's wonderful it's great i don't care that you don't read green lantern i do i love that issue so much fine fine you want to know my real answer his swamp thing christmas special that's the real best comic Aww. damn <laughs> good choice okay uh, let's do one more question. Anne, will you read Gianni's question that's in the notes? Oh, Gianni. Yes, absolutely. Um, hello again, Dallas, Lexi, and Anne. And of course, hello to my favorite husband and wife duo in the comic community, Brad and Lisa. Yeah. I hope all is well and that 2024 is treating you well so far. Human Target is one of the greatest comics of this decade so far. It has raised to my top three King series alongside Supergirl Woman Tomorrow and the insanely underappreciated Rorschach. There you go, Dallas. And Greg Smallwood displays the absolute best work of his um, career thus far. Anyway, sorry for rambling. My question is, with the JLI being so prominent in the story, it got me curious. 
What are all your favorite versions of the Justice League? There have been so many different and unique rosters throughout the years, and I'm so curious to know your favorites. Personally, I love the Morrison and Meltzer teams, and of course, the Dematis, Giffen, and Maguire JLI era. Anyway, so, sorry for such a long email. Sending love and good vibes and happy Valentine's Day, Gianni. Thank you so much, Gianni. You're awesome. We always appreciate you. Um, so, everyone, what do we think? What are our favorite versions of the Justice League? Let's hit this real quick because I got to bounce. But Justice League Unlimited Cartoon. That is better than anything else. <laughs> number one yeah. in my heart. Number one in my soul. Justice League Unlimited. I'm sitting right here because of Justice League Unlimited, baby. Uh, I think mine's Morrison and Porter's Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Phenomenal. Electric Blue Superman Forever. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. No, huh? We got to move past that. We got to move past <laughs> that. But, oh. <laughs> This is not how my brain works. Like I don't like um I don't I don't think that I, I really understand what a Justice League mm-hmm. is. You know, it's just like, you <laughs> know, you, you throw any kind of group of uh DC characters together, I'm like, is this a Justice League? And they're like, that's a murder of crows. And I'm like, I don't even know what's even going on. <laughs> it's a Justice of League. It's a League of Justice. <laughs> it's a Justice there of we go. League. And everybody has a red rocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a Justice League without a red rocket. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Anne? Our DC mine, nerd. Mine is probably going to be um, either Melts. I think Giffen's is great. Um, Melters is wonderful. I think every Justice League needs an Aquaman. So I can take like five Justice Leagues and be like, that's almost perfect. If I just take this little fish guy and pin him right here on the side. Perfect. There we go. Nailed it. I think those are all great. I love Future State Justice League too, because I'm a sucker for Andy Curry. So yeah, some good, some good Justice Leagues. Also, shout out Justice League Detroit. You're great. And Young Justice Justice League, which is basically just everyone. So, (laughs) yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you, Brad and Lisa, so much for being with us today. What would you like to plug? Where can the people find you? What have you been up to? Point them in your ever-flowing direction. I am always in awe at how many things Mm -hmm. you two do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can find us on all your favorite podcast feeds, Comic Book Couples Counseling. Of course, the website is comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Uh, we're currently in the middle of our Scott Summers and Emma Frost counseling sessions. We just dropped our episode discussing Uncanny X-Men issues 518 and 519 plus Dark X-Men, The Confession. That conversation was so fun. Yeah. I'm having such a great time with Schema. And I, we, you know, we're, we're just cresting the hill of their relationship. And the next episode is going to be on Avengers versus X-Men. And I'm going to be sad Ooh. to say goodbye to them. And I'm going to be sad to be mm-hmm. reading Avengers versus X-Men again. Um, <laughs> Lisa's never read it. I so I am excited about that. Uh, we also do, you know, creator interviews. Uh, we recently had an episode with Todd McFarlane uh, that I thought, was one of the best Todd McFarlane interviews, if I'm not so humble to I'll say. listen to us butter our own bread. <laughs> I love buttering my bread. It's what I'm good at. And uh, our next episode is going to be with Tom Scholey talking about I Am Stan. Yeah. Nice. That's a blast. I, I'll i say it right in front of him. Comic Book Couples Counseling is my favorite comic book podcast. Aww. You guys are one of the only ones I keep up to date on. Like I love, I love everything you do. Thank you. And I'm always you. jealous of how good you are at doing it. Aww. Thank you. Um... For the sake of the Super Bowl, you know where to find us. You know how to make us feel nice. <laughs> we will see you next week for our episode on Spider-Man Blue with Geeksplain's own Eric Azana. We'll see you next week, everybody. Woo. Bye. Bye. Bye.